Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior pastor, Dr. Chris Walker. Well, as always, it's a privilege to turn to God's Word together, and this morning I will ask you for a last time to turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, as we conclude this series. I've so enjoyed walking through this letter from Paul with you as we've seen God's Word remind us again and again of what God has done for us, the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, and what then He has called us to do as He calls us to walk worthy of that calling in holiness and in unity together, as He gives us practical instruction to live our lives in various ways, strengthening us for the battle that we face as we are encouraged to delight in God's grace and grow in holiness and glorify our Savior together. And here we come at Paul's final greeting and and benediction this morning. And as we come to these final verses, I want to say to you the same thing that I said about the first few verses. And that is that though in some ways these are formal greetings and conclusions, Paul never wastes his words, and these are never just greetings or farewells. In fact, in many ways, these final verses are a perfect summary of all that Paul has said to us throughout this letter. My prayer this morning is that we'll be encouraged and comforted in the gospel as we look at these final verses of Ephesians. So let's read them together. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. This is God's word. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, how we thank You for Your Word. Your Word which You gave us, Your Word which You inspired by Your Spirit, and how we pray that Your Spirit would continue to apply it to our hearts, that we might marvel at the glory of Jesus Christ. Might we know Him better today. We pray it in His name. Amen. Now, when you send someone a card or write them a letter... Your purpose in sending that card has a lot to do with what you write or what you send. I was thinking about that particularly when it comes to choosing a greeting card. You are faced with quite an array of birthday cards when you walk down the Hallmark aisle in the grocery store. As I look at the collection there, there's a card for everything. You have some birthday cards that are just, you know, your generic birthday card. They've got the party hat and a a warm wish for a birthday. And maybe you'd send that to someone who you know and want just to let know, hey, I'm thinking of you on your birthday. And then, of course, there are the others, and they may have a, a, a soft painting on them. And they're the sentimental birthday card. And they say things like, you know, we're so blessed 
by you and, and we hope that the Lord will continue to bless you in your coming year. The, the, the thoughtful uh, birthday card. And then there's those birthday cards that are particularly created to send perhaps to that, that older sibling that you have the battle of the birthday cards with. I'm thinking of the kind like the one that, that I, I saw. It was in the shape of a rear view mirror. And it had the warning written at the bottom, objects may be closer than they appear. And it had a nice picture of the Grim Reaper in the rear view mirror. <laughs> Maybe that's one you send. And your purpose, of course, in sending the birthday card will dictate which of those cards you choose as you walk down the aisle. Well, in a similar way, Paul was very clear from the beginning of this letter what his purpose was in writing a letter to the Ephesians and everything he has said has been shaped by that purpose. You may remember back in the first chapter, his opening prayer, he prayed for grace and peace for the Ephesians who had been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. His purpose was to encourage the Ephesians by reminding them of the blessings which God had given them in their Savior. And as he ends this book, we find Paul returning to that same desire in prayer that the Ephesians would know the blessings of peace, love, and grace that come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to look at each of these blessings this morning, but before I do, I want to make two preliminary comments. First, this text reminds us clearly the source of peace, love, and grace. The source of these blessings is none other than God himself. You see how Paul says that their peace be to you brothers in love with faith. How? Where? From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the source of these blessings. And there may be some here this morning who are going through life and they're looking for peace and security. Maybe they're looking for love or acceptance. And maybe these blessings seem elusive Maybe they always seem like they'll be around the next corner or the next success or opportunity. And if you are in that place, you need to hear this morning that peace and love come only from God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ, who takes the punishment that we deserved for our sins on Himself and forgives us and reconciles us through Jesus Christ. He pours out on us undeserved favor and love and makes us His guaranteeing eternal life with Him. He is the source of blessings, of peace, of love, of grace. Maybe there's others here this morning who have trusted Jesus Christ, but our gaze continually gets pulled away from God. And if so, we need the reminder too that God is the source of these blessings through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, in this life, we are often assailed by the world, the flesh, and the devil. We are often distracted by the busy, the fun, the difficult. And so we need the reminder too to actively return to God and to His Word this morning and morning after morning. Because God continues to be our source of peace and love and grace in His sovereign care. It is from Him and Him alone that we will find these blessings. And so we should fix our eyes on Him and His Word as the source of them. But second, while God alone is the source of peace, love, and grace, let me also note that God has called us to be instruments of peace, love, and grace among His people in one another's lives. 
We get a glimpse of it right here in our passage, in fact. If you look at verses 21 and 22, look at how Tychicus is described. Paul has sent him, probably carrying this letter, to the Ephesians in order to be an encouragement to their hearts. In fact, we actually find Tychicus mentioned five times in the New Testament, and each time he is sent by Paul. He carried the letter of, uh, to the Colossians and a letter to the Laodiceans as well. He went ahead of Paul in the book of Acts and met Titus. And so we see this man who is sent. And Paul says he has sent him in order that he might encourage your hearts. Well, how is Tychicus going to encourage their hearts? I imagine it was by using the gift of grace that God had given him to remind the Ephesians of what they knew of God and what he had done for them in Christ. I imagine it was by bearing with them and uniting with them in fellowship. It was by loving them and caring for them, praying for them. After all, how does Paul describe him? As a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. And so Tychicus becomes an instrument embodying this peace, this love, this grace as he comes to the Ephesians and encourages them in their hearts. And what we need to remember is that while we know God's love first by what he has done for us in Christ, we are then called to love one another as imitators of God in Christ Jesus. While we know God's peace first in Christ who reconciled us to God and to one another, we are then to be instruments of peace with one another, bearing with one another with gentleness and humility. While we know the riches of God's grace from His redemption and His forgiveness of our sins in Christ, we are then to serve and minister to one another with the grace God gives us so that we embody His grace, so that the church grows and matures as we care for one another. And so as we look at Paul's closing prayer, we will see with each of these blessings his desire that the Ephesians would know peace, love, and grace from God our Father through Jesus Christ, but also that then we would embody those blessings and be instruments of them to one another in the church. So let's turn now, hearing this and seeing this in our passage, and look at peace, love, and grace themselves. In verse 23, Paul prays for peace. Peace be to the brothers, he says. You know, this is actually a fairly common way to close a letter in the New Testament. Paul often wishes for peace to his readers, and that might still be true today. I have a friend from college who ends each of his emails with peace, Matt. We take guitar lessons, my kids and I, and our teacher almost every time ends our lesson by saying, I hope you have a peaceful day today. Peace is a kind and be polite wish to as a farewell. But, you know, those words as a conclusion to an email or as a wish we might give someone, though they might be kind, they might be appropriate, they have no real power in themselves. I am not going to be bestowed with peace because someone says, hey, I hope you have peace. But Paul's words as he ends his letter are different. Because Paul is an apostle. He was sent by the Spirit of God and inspired by the Spirit of God to deliver the words of God to God's people. And as an apostle, in this sense, Paul's benediction reflects the first blessing that God told Aaron and his sons to pray over the people of Israel. You remember that first blessing? We hear it often at the end of our service. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And God tells us in Numbers chapter 6, when we read that blessing, that the Lord says he will, he will bless Israel with these words as Aaron prays them over God's people. And in a similar way, Paul's words here are not just nice closing comments. They actually have the power to bestow peace. Because they are words of God's apostle who has just spent six chapters telling us all of the truths about God and what he has done for us that we need to know in order to have peace. I mean, think about what peace is. Peace is the security and comfort that comes when our uncertainty and our vulnerability is resolved by the loving care and presence of one who is strong enough to keep us safe and make things well for us. And when our separation and hostility with someone is resolved by forgiveness and restored affection for one another. And Paul has just told us that God in Jesus Christ has done those things for us. Think back to chapter 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul told us that God is sovereign and He works all things according to the counsel of His will. That nothing is outside His control. And that in His sovereignty, He has called us to be His people and has sealed us with His Holy Spirit, and has guaranteed our inheritance in Him, in Christ. And then in Ephesians 2, Paul told us that God Himself has given us peace, both with Himself and with one another. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He created in Himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. And He reconciled us both to God through the cross. And then He came and He preached peace to you who were far off and to you who were near. And then in chapter 6, Paul told us, yes, it's true, you are fighting against spiritual powers of darkness And yes, you are no match for them in yourself. But no matter, for God has strengthened us and equipped us with His armor that we might stand firm. So we hear this sovereign God who has chosen us as His and held us fast and sealed us as His. We have this God who has brought peace through Jesus Christ and preached peace to us and now strengthens us and holds us fast in Him. Those are words that bring peace. That's what Paul has just told us. But then, of course, Paul takes it a step further in chapter 4. Because he tells us that as God's people who have been secured as God's, who have been given peace through Christ, we are now to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with one another. We're to embody and live out the peace that Christ has secured for us in our life together as the church. While our peace is grounded on our reconciliation with God, God has not saved us individually. He's saved us to be part of a community. He has saved us to be part of the church. And we are to experience the reality of peace with one another as we bear with one another and dwell together in gentleness and patience as those who are reconciled together to God and Christ. And so we have peace because of what God has done for us in Christ, and as we live with one another as those saved by Him. And given those realities, Paul can confidently pray that peace would be a reality in the church. Well, then he goes on to pray for love with faith. Paul's not 
praying for two separate things here. He's praying that they would know love that comes with or through faith in Christ. And once again, this love begins with a knowledge of God and then overflows in our love for one another. In fact, in every single chapter of Ephesians, Paul's letter reminds us of the love that we have from God in Christ. If you think back to chapter 1, Paul said that from before the foundation of the world, God predestined us in love to be adopted as His sons and daughters. God's heart of commitment to us and desire for us as His people determined Him to choose to save us in Christ. Then in chapter 2, Paul marveled at all the blessings that God has given us, making us alive together with Christ and raising us with Christ. And Paul says that these come because of the great love with which God has loved us, that He would give these blessings to us even when we were dead in our sins. In chapter 3, Paul prayed that the Spirit of God might strengthen us to be able to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus that surpasses knowledge. Then in chapter 4, Paul calls the Ephesians to live with one another and to embody that love together as God's people in the church. He says we're to live with one another in love and to speak the truth to one another in love. Because as he says in chapter 5, we're to be imitators of God who walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And so then again, at the end of chapter 6, he comes and prays that we might know love with faith from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wonder if you'd stop for a minute and think of a time when you have felt the most loved in your life. Maybe it was a time like one student I talked with whose parents had just forgiven him for a somewhat significant sin and he was ashamed of it. And after his parents forgave them, he said to me, he said, you know, I didn't know my parents could love me that much. Maybe what comes to your mind is a time when your spouse sacrificed deeply to care for you constantly and patiently through an illness. Maybe it's a friend who dropped everything to help you in a time of need. But do you see that the deepest, most unexpected display of human love is still just a small reflection of the sovereign, eternal, high, and deep love of God for us through Christ that surpasses knowledge. And having been changed to the core by His love for us, we are now to seek to imitate Him and to love one another as His people with a Christ-like love. And so Paul prays that the Ephesians might know and experience love together as God's people with faith. And then moving to verse 24, Paul prays that the grace of God, and we remember that grace here means undeserved kindness of God, would be with all who love Christ. And once again, grace is a blessing Paul has talked about throughout this letter. In chapter 1, Paul reminded the Ephesians that the riches of God's grace have been given them in redemption through Christ's blood, the forgiveness of sins. In chapter 2, Paul surveyed those blessings that God gave his children in Christ at being made alive with Christ and being raised with Christ and being seated with Christ. And how does he conclude? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. 
And so above all, Paul is praying that the Ephesians would have the abiding comfort of knowing that if they have given themselves in faith to Christ, their sins have been forgiven, they have been redeemed, and that is not dependent on their works or achieving a certain level of performance. It is dependent upon the grace of God alone. But then Paul turns in chapter 4, and again he says that God's grace will be most fully experienced together, corporately, as we live together as the church. Because in chapter 4, he reminds the Ephesians that God has poured out his grace on the church by giving each member of his church a gift to be used to serve one another and minister to one another. And it's as the church uses that gift to serve one another and minister to one another so that we are built up into maturity and we strengthen and support one another that we know the grace of God that comes through each other in the church. So God's grace also comes to us first in salvation, but then is experienced corporately as we benefit from his grace through one another in the church. So do you see how in many ways these concluding verses are a summary of Ephesians? That we might know peace and love and grace first from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and his work of salvation on our behalf that Paul had summarized in chapters 1 through 3 but then that we might know it and experience it from one another as instruments of God's peace, love, and grace in the church, as Paul has reminded us in chapters 4 through 6. So this is Paul's concluding prayer, this prayer of blessing. Now, as we come to the end, as we think about Paul's prayer that we might know the abiding comfort of peace and love and grace from God, I want to end with two words of application for us. First, notice in verse 24, right as Paul comes to the end, that Paul indicates a particular response that ought to be true of God's people if we are going to have the blessings of God. Paul prays, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Now there's a bit of a debate over that word incorruptible, which means undying or never-ending. And, and the question is whether it refers to a believer's love that would be undying or never-ending, or whether it's referring to God's grace that is unending or uh, undying or never-ending. And the Greek is not quite clear. But whichever way you go, Paul's point is clear. Paul's point is that the response of every person who has genuinely trusted the grace of God will be a deep love for Jesus. In fact, I think we could say that in some ways, this is the central identifying trait of a believer in Christ. A Christian is one who is in love with Jesus because Jesus has died and given himself to meet our greatest need that had no solution apart from his sacrifice for our sins. A Christian is one who sees that fact and now has entrusted himself fully to Jesus as a spouse because of their love and trusts themselves to one another. A Christian is one whose gratitude and praise all goes to Jesus, whose thoughts, like a, like a star-struck lover, continue to come back to Jesus. A Christian is one who belongs body and soul, heart and in life to Jesus and who longs for and pursues Jesus because of what he has done for him. The response of one who knows the grace of God for us 
is love for Jesus. And maybe this is an important part, point for us to pause and examine our own hearts. You know, in an article in By Faith magazine this summer, editor Richard Doster pointed out that what we want most sets the tone and direction of our life. What we want most always sets the tone and direction of our life. I think that's why Jesus called his disciples to love the Lord their God with all their heart and soul and mind and strength. And why God told the Israelites in the Old Testament that they would seek him and find him when they sought for him with their whole heart. Maybe we need to examine the direction of our lives. What are we pursuing most strongly? Where are we finding our purpose, our acceptance, our satisfaction? What do we give the most time and attention to? And ask ourselves, is love for Jesus setting the tone and direction of my life? If it's not, we need to come back to the grace of God and ask whether we have understood what Christ has done for us. Because love for Jesus is the only response for the one who has truly understood what God has done for us in His Son. Then my second word of application. Paul has prayed here that we would know peace and love and grace from God our Father and from one another as instruments of those blessings. But even if we live in Christ, we are reminded day after day that we do not yet live in the perfect fullness of peace love, and grace. We know our own sin and temptation. We're hurt by the sins of others. Cultural forces press against the gospel. Satan attacks the church. In fact, maybe some of you are here this morning and you're facing a significant uncertainty in your life or maybe an acute sense of loss. Maybe you're burdened by the weight of a conflict with a friend or a family member. And if you're sitting here this morning in what feels like 180 degrees the opposite of peace, love, and grace, how should you think about these verses this morning? Well, first, we have to have our expectations right. See, often we hear God's promises of peace and love and grace, and we assume that should mean the culmination the perfect culmination of God's promises, the utopia of peaceful security and unconflicted love. In other words, we're expecting heaven. But in the perfect timing of God's plan, it isn't time for heaven yet. And that means we have a different expectation. I think of it this way. Growing up, my dad did his best to care for his lawn and have a nice grass. He ruthlessly executed all dandelions. He fertilized and aerated. But he had no hope of a perfect lawn. Because at that point, I was living in the house. And see, I spray-painted foul lines on the grass to have a good baseball field. I hit golf balls in our yard and took nice divots with the golf ball. I even lowered the mower below its lowest settings and tried to mow my own putting green in our yard. I attempted lawn art and tried to mow the Ohio State logo in my lawn, just in case any airplanes or helicopters flying over would appreciate it. So there was no hope, and I think my dad, I remember him concluding one time, he said, I'll pursue my perfect lawn after you graduate. But in a similar way, 
we should say we will look for the fulfillment, the culmination, our perfect peace, love, and grace after our life here on earth. Because as it turns out, and paradoxically perhaps, it is precisely in the confidence that this future reality will come because all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And it is in the knowledge that God is sovereign over every detail of our life now and walking with us in the suffering and remaining sin of this life now. It is that knowledge that frees us to experience and rest in God's peace and love and grace now. Because we are right where He wants us to be in His perfect time as we wait patiently in full confidence to receive perfect peace, love, and grace with fellowship with Him on the last day. But even further, if I could add one more thought to that, we also need to remember God's process. Because the reality is that in life, part of our experience of God's grace and peace in love will come precisely as we are sanctified through trials. Part of our experience of God's grace and peace is exactly as we forgive one another for sins against us, and as we pursue one another even in the face of conflict, as we sacrifice for one another's sake and serve one another with the grace that God has given us and we seek to imitate Him. If everything in life was perfect and we had perfect peace, love, and grace, in what sense would we be able to uniquely and in a God-glorifying way meet one another's needs and forgive one another's sins and minister to one another in a way that reflects God and enjoys God's gifts and experiences His blessings here on earth? You know, in her book, Fit to Burst, Rachel Jankovic writes that we've been trained to think of life in snapshots. We look at a photo of a brand new home and we think, that's just what that home will look like when I live in it. But it's not, because we forget that we have piles of dirty shoes that come by the door and, and we experience that living room, sleep deprived and with a headache. She said, we look at the perfect picture of that beach vacation home and we never remember that that might be the place the whole family gets the stomach flu. The perfect picture will come, yes, but we go through a process. When we expect life to be the perfect snapshot, we forget that the suffering and the mess are the very opportunities that God is giving us now to grow in sanctification and holiness. And they're the very opportunities we have now to demonstrate to one another and experience from one another grace and love and peace from God our Father as instruments that He uses us in one another's lives. And that's how God is glorified. And we are prepared for that perfection that He is making us for. So as we come to the end of Ephesians, look back over the pages of this letter. Remember God's sovereign love for you, expressed to its greatest height in Christ's death on our behalf. Consider the peace that Christ has announced to us through His blood. Marvel at the grace of God which has saved us from our sin. And now live out that peace and love and grace, striving to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with one another, loving each other as Christ loved us and serving one another with the grace of God. And do it all because we are driven by and consumed by a love 
for Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because as Paul put it, peace be to you, brothers and sisters, and love with faith. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Let's pray. God, how we thank you for this letter that you've given us. How we thank you for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. How we thank you that in love you predestined us before the foundation of the world to be adopted as your sons and daughters. How we thank you that you, out of your great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, sent Christ to secure our salvation. How we thank you that Christ has now announced peace with God and with one another. Father, we know that we are now called to respond to that work with faith in Jesus Christ, with love for such a Savior, and then as instruments of these blessings to one another in the church. Now I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who has not responded to Jesus in that way, that you would give them faith and a deep love for such a Savior. And how I pray that you would be working amongst us as a church, that more and more we might grow in holiness, that more and more we might love one another and pursue peace and bear with one another and share the grace that God has given us with one another to the glory of your name. And we pray it for Christ's sake. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.